Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Benjamin Gilmer, author of the brand new nonfiction book, The Other Dr. Gilmer, Two Men, a Murder, and an Unlikely Fight for Justice. Benjamin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your book yet, can you explain who the other Dr. Gilmer was and what he did that led you to eventually write this book? The other Dr. Gilmer was a physician that preceded me in the small clinic where I work in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, as a fledgling doctor, when I started my career, I realized I was walking in the footsteps of a, of a presumed murderer who had the same last name. So it was an interesting adventure to start a career that way. And I, I soon learned after inheriting many of, of the other Dr. Gilmer's patients and, and the other Dr. Gilmer's name is Vince, inherited a lot of Vince's patients and they immediately started sharing with me how much they loved him, how beloved he was in the community. And for the first time they were able to express um, their lack of understanding about what happened, like why the other Dr. Gilmer killed his father in a sort of brutal way. Um, so that was my, that was my entry into, to Dr. Gilmer and hearing his stories and wanting to understand who this person was and why he committed this, this horrific act and, um, and why he was so beloved by, by his community. Sure. Well, I, I know that you're a practicing physician. What made you decide I want to write a book about this story and this issue? I never would have been audacious enough to write a story or a book, but this story, after becoming closer and closer to the other Dr. Gilmer, um, begged me to write it. And it's a story that, that really crosses 10 a whole decade. Um, it's a story about, about my own personal development and growth. So it, it's a, it's a memoir. Um, but it's a story that delves into many issues. Um, namely like how does a brain unravel and what is the cl clinician's responsibility to, um, get involved with social justice? Um, so this story is very much, much more than a murder mystery story. It's, it's one that grabbed me. And I, I felt compelled to write about it because it was the, the story of, of Vince Gilmer was, was so inspiring to me um, and ultimately pushed me to, to try to get him out of prison. So it's a, it's a story about social justice. Um, and I've been a student writer throughout this whole period. So it's, I, it's been a massive learning process <laughs> for me to learn how to write, to practice writing intentionally for the first time. Um, but it's, it's not about me as a writer. It's, it's about telling Vince Gilmer's story. Sure. Well, in your research of Dr. Vince Gilmer, what explained his change of behavior and the murder of his father? So there were many things that contributed to, to why Vince Gilmer sort of unraveled in a moment. And, and it took a number of years to, to figure this out. In fact, one, one of the pillar concepts of the book is, is why our human brain can become cognitively fallible, um, why all of us like, can drift towards this, this sort of neurologic state of where we, we no longer have um, resiliency. And for, you know, for many of us, like that, getting into that space is, um, 
you know, can be caused by a lack of sleep one night. It could be caused by stress from work. You know, it could be caused by a number of things. But for Vince Gilmer, there was a trilogy of very deep um, neurologic events that happened to him that contributed to his brain becoming destabilized. The first was that he he came off very precipitously from his antidepressant and SSRI, and that caused SSRI discontinuation syndrome. The second was that he had a traumatic brain injury that can cause all kinds of symptoms, you know, including emotional instability, lability, and um, you know, cognitive deficits. And then the third really was that I realized after meeting Vince Gilmer in prison um, and seeing him for the first time, I realized that he had a, a, some kind of neurologic disorder, which ultimately we diagnosed as Huntington's disease. And that was something that he he never knew he had, nor did his father, the person he killed, knew he ever had. So there are many factors that really came together to contribute to, to Vince um, killing his father. Those were, were three. But the other big one was that he, he experienced intergenerational trauma, sexual abuse from his father's own hands. And so that, that was the foundation of his upbringing was was growing up with abuse. Well, there's been a recent update to this story about Dr. Vince Gilmer. Can you tell us about that? So just to paint the the back story a little bit. Sure. In uh, 2016, we we, um, proposed a a clemency petition to the governor of North Carolina that was rejected by then Governor Terry McAuliffe. Four years later, we we pitched another clemency petition to the the um, just recent governor of Virginia, Governor Dr. Ralph Northam, and he rejected our clemency petition too, despite being a neurologist. Um, those two events really inspired me and in, to get involved with this sort of social justice movement to speak more towards mass incarceration. Miraculously, on the last day. So several months after the, the governor's clemency rejection, on his last day in office, he re- reversed his decision and granted clemency to Vince Gilmer. So that that has been the culmination of our work over the last 10 years um, to free him, which he will now soon be free, although he's still in prison currently um, because we don't have uh, a hospital yet who's willing to accept him, which was part of our clemency petition. So ironically, he's still in prison but a free man um, until we can find a hospital that's willing to accept him. So this has been very big recent news for us. And we're, we're thrilled that the governor um, came to this conclusion, although it took several years, but we're, we're thrilled that this is happening. That's great. Well, as you were exposed to Dr. Gilmer's case and you researched this book, what did you discover about how mental illness is handled in the criminal justice system in the U S so that's a huge question, <laughs> Jeff, and you know, one that I've you know I've been percolating on throughout my career, recognizing that you know there's such a paucity of of resources for people who are mentally ill is tremendous. And so the you know the problem really starts like at a very basic grassroots level, like getting getting all people access to medical care, having a medical home. That's one of our objectives in family medicine. Um. I've realized like since day one that, you know, that's 
the difficulty of getting someone in, for example, to see a psychiatrist. As a result of family medicine, we take care of about 20% of our patients are, are psychiatric in nature. Then as, you know, after delving into the story and, you know, recognizing that I was very naive to how we treat mental illness in this, in this country, um, you know, I started to realize that there are much bigger questions looming out there, um, punctuated by Vince's story. You know, I realized that there are 10 times more people with mental illness who are being treated or not treated rather in prison compared to mental hospitals. Like that's so staggering to me, 10 times more people in prison than in mental hospitals. Um, realizing that 40% of, of incarcerated people have mental illness, that alone should be a, a strong signal that we're not, we're not doing things well. The rehabilitation for the mentally ill does not happen successfully in prison. It can happen in a clinical setting. Um, that's just scratching the surface. You know that I think there's so many things that contribute to the, um, you know, the continued worsening of mental illness in our, our country. You know, punctuated by COVID and everything else. But the the bottom line is that there are not enough services, and and we don't always recognize that mental illness is is an actual illness. You know, I think it's really important, and I tried to outline this in the book that, you know, we we all have our moments. We all have our personal threshold for um, becoming unstable, for becoming depressed or anxious. And if we can recognize that by understanding our shared human kind of cognitive fallibility, that helps us to recognize that, you know, being sick with mental illness is in fact that it's a sickness. And that we we could do a better job accepting it, recognizing it, and treating it, but not incarcerating it. It just it just does not work. Um, a mentally ill person who enters prison only becomes more mentally ill. They they do not become healed. Well, I'm 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 curious. Given your research about this topic, are there any particular nonprofits or organizations that are uh, that are that are looking at this issue specifically the intersection of mental illness and mass incar- incarceration in the U.S. and um, and trying to do something about it. There are many organizations across the country who are you know who are trying to to contribute to making this argument against um, the mass incarceration of the mentally ill. You know they're. They're innumerable, but a few of them come to mind. You know, one is the Marshall Project, which is well recognized in this in this realm of speaking against the inhumanity of, of mass incarceration um, and calling out, you know, the the immorality of, of car- incarcerating the mentally ill. People like Brian Stevenson, who's been one of the, the biggest voices in our country, speaking out against uh, mass incarceration. He started the Equal Justice Initiative and. In, down in Birmingham or in Montgomery, Alabama. He's the guy that gets in front of the Supreme Court and makes makes the big arguments. But I think there, there are lots of grassroots efforts as well that are, are making excellent contributions. I think that, you know, I've tried to, to better understand and focus what my contribution might be. In, and I think it's really to, to bring a lens, like a clinical lens from a non-biased person, a clinician, to help better reveal that our you know our our minds are fragile and that we have to protect one another um and that it's it's just 
it's it's a it's absolutely an affront to the Hippocratic Oath to consider incarcerating someone who has profound mental illness. Um, but it, it's a collective effort for sure, and there are many people doing great things out there. Well, the story about Vince Gilmer was originally featured on This American Life, the popular radio show and podcast. How did that podcast episode or radio episode come about? I was contacted by Sarah Koenig, an amazing journalist, Peabody winner, who um, who had a, a connection with my cousin. My cousin told her that that there was a crazy story evolving with with his cousin, <laughs> and so she reached out to me, and I was not even close to wanting to do a story with her because I, I felt really vulnerable in that moment and not wanting to make myself known to you know at the time a person that I thought was a a brutal murderer, and so there was a certain amount of paranoia that that existed in, in my own brain, in my own life during a a time where I had two young children and I was trying to start a career. It was like a very, you know, kind of destabilizing period. But eventually I realized that I would not be able to continue my work in that building, the same building that Vince Gilmer actually built. Um, if I didn't come to a closer understanding of the truth about what happened to him, um, because he was, he was like a, a ghost, like living in our building. Sometimes he would be a friendly ghost and, other times he would be a, a terrifying ghost. And so th- eventually I crossed that sort of threshold where I, I knew I had to figure out what happened and, and I knew I needed some help to do so. So I, I called Sarah back and she jumped in with me and together we spent six months um, trying to figure out what happened to the other Dr. Gilmer and eventually diagnosing him with Huntington's disease, which has changed the course of, of his life and mine. Well, given the fact that you're a practicing physician, do you have plans to write another book now that you've written this one? (laughs) (laughs) So I have learned, I just want to recognize how much respect I have for people who write (laughs) because it's, it's an incredible endeavor to write a book. And I was very naive in approaching this process and, and really approached it as just, you know, a student eyes and practice writing for a few years. And, um, and then I, I finally asked for help. Like I, I, I knew that I was going to need some help, some guidance, some mentorship in, in the process and learned that I really loved it. Like that it was, it was such a great experience, although hard to work 60 to 75 hours a week and get up every morning at five o'clock to try to put words on a page in a, in a small dark room, <laughs> but, um, it was so therapeutic that I, I, and I'm realizing now that, you know, writing can make an impact, like writing books or articles can, you know, really speaks to people and that story speaks to people. Story is what ultimately changes people's minds, not argument per se, but, but a story. And that's, that's why I think this story is so compelling because it's one that you know, that is about two, two people. It's, it's not a, and it's a true story. It's, it's not one that's, that's made up or it's not one where, where I tried to make a dogmatic, you know, argument. It's, it's one where I let the story speak for itself. And so if a story arises again, that that's as compelling as this one for me, I would love to pursue writing again. That's great. 
Well, again, we've been speaking with Benjamin Gilmer, author of the brand new nonfiction book, The Other Dr. Gilmer, Two Men, A Murder, and an Unlikely Fight for Justice. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Benjamin Gilmer, thanks for doing this interview. Appreciate it, Jeff. Great. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.